You may be seated. And when you are, please open your copies of God's Word to the Gospel of John, chapter 15. We are in between um, books, studying through books of the Bible. We, of course, just finished James and we'll be starting Jonah in January. But for the next two weeks, um, we'll be here in John this week and then uh, next week here we'll be in kind of two different places. Joshua, revisit there in a way, and then also in the Gospel of Luke. But for today, we look at the Gospel of John. Uh, Our scripture text is John chapter 15, verses 12 through 17. But what we're going to do is we're going to begin reading at verse 1. This will give us the greater context of the passage, of course, which should be helpful for your understanding and my preaching. This is God's holy and inspired word. John chapter 15, beginning at verse 1. And this, of course, is the Lord Jesus speaking. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch that withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples." As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Let's pray. Lord, we would ask for your blessing 
hearing seems simple enough. But Lord, we know that something greater goes on in the preaching of your word than simply a man speaking and us listening. Something spiritual takes place, and that's what we're praying for. Lord, your text that we've just read tells us twice that we ought to come to you in your name, asking that your will be done. And Lord, we know it is your desire that your disciples would love one another and that we would be transformed, that we would look like you. And so, Lord, we would ask for your mercy and your grace this morning. We pray that you would help the preaching of the word. And we pray that you would help us as we listen. Lord, we'd ask that you would hear our prayer. In Christ's name, amen. Let me ask you a question. What bird sings the most elaborate, the most complex and beautiful song in the world? I know there's a couple bird lovers in here. And there's lots of contenders, but the lyrebird from South Australia has got to be one of them. And before I'm asked, it's spelled L-Y-R-E-B-I-R-D, lyrebird, like the lyre, the harp and the lyre. Well, male lyrebirds, they clear a space in the forest, and then they call out with an elaborate song. They... they put into it all of the complexity that they can muster. And they do this by copying the sounds that they hear in the forest. They can copy uh, the sounds of up to 20 birds, and they do it with such accuracy. accuracy. It is amazing. But in recent years, the call of the lyrebirds have become more complex because they've come in contact with humans Now their songs are interweaved with the sounds of car alarms, power drills, and even chainsaws. You've got to look this bird up and listen. They they reproduce these sounds so accurately. It is incredible. A testament to our God. What a creator. And when you look at this passage that is before you today, you see that Jesus calls his disciples to imitate him. In verse 12, he says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. In fact, he commands Christians to love one another in both verse 12 and 17, doesn't he? And when we talk about interpreting the Bible, we talk about that as an inclusio, uh, the same commandment on both ends of a passage. This passage is about love, loving like Jesus loves. And in between verses 12 and 17, Jesus teaches you how to love your brothers and sisters by using himself as an example to imitate. How should a loving friendship between church members be? What should it look like? We'll begin answering that question with our first heading. Loving friendship is self-sacrificial. That's what we see first. Loving friendship is self-sacrificial. 
The Gospel of John is a little different than other Gospels. One thing that is unique about the Gospel of John is its chronology. Jesus' public ministry lasts for three years, and John covers the first three years of Jesus' ministry in chapters 1 through 11. Chapters 12 through 19 record just the last week of his life from a triumphal entry to the resurrection. And then chapters 20 and 21 cover what happened after the resurrection. We are in chapter 15. This is the last week of Jesus' life. In fact, it's Thursday his last 24 hours, this very evening, he will celebrate the Passover with his disciples. He'll be betrayed. And they'll see and they'll catch him in the Garden of Gethsemane that evening around midnight, and then his trials will begin. He'll be up all night Jesus knows the next morning he will be hanging on a Roman cross, laying down his life for the sins of his people. And as Jesus teaches his disciples in chapter 15, he describes the relationship he has with his church by comparing it to a vine. Jesus says that he is the vine that the Father is the vine dresser and that his people are the branches. He goes on to say that people with genuine faith remain in him and are like branches that bear fruit. And people with a false profession of faith are like branches that produce no fruit. They show themselves to be unfaithful. Beginning at Verse 8, Jesus says, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. The love of the Father For the Son flows to Christians because they are spiritually united to Christ. And this love empowers the believer and gives them a desire to follow Christ and keep his commandments. Our obedience springs from love. We Don't obey to receive God's love, but rather we obey because we have received God's love. And in verse 12, Jesus says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. He commands you to love one another. Christian, you don't have a right to neglect this command. You don't have a right to refuse. It's the Lord's command. 
and he supplies the highest standard for the love, doesn't he? He says, to love one another as I have loved you. Jesus loved the weak and the broken and the most defective among us. His arms are wide open to everyone. He's willing to forgive, to restore, to walk alongside you. Jesus says, love as I have loved. You see, our love is to be active, self-denying, and self-sacrificing. And Jesus says the greatest expression of love is when a person lays down his life for his friends. In verse 13, Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this, that some, than someone that lays down his life for his friends. And this is true, isn't it? Occasionally you hear of someone who gives their life to save someone else. We say that they paid the ultimate price. That's the saying, right? And when that happens, we marvel and we celebrate. We celebrate that person as a hero. Well, Jesus is about to pay the ultimate price, but there's a difference when it comes to Christ's sacrifice that makes his death the greatest expression of love ever. When a person gives their life to save someone else, they normally don't know that they're going to die. They typically hope to escape from death. But Jesus' death is especially priceless because he knew and intended to die to save you from your sins. Jesus was a friend to you when you were his enemy. Romans 5.8 says, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He loved you, knowing about all of the details of your sin, knowing all your sins and every corrupt twist in your heart. The greatness of Jesus' love for you is understood when you remember what he suffered. It's true that he suffered intense physical agony on the cross. But his spiritual suffering must have made the physical pain he endured relatively insignificant by comparison. Jesus suffered the infinite wrath of God for your sins. And for the first and only time, he had the horrifying experience of not being able to call God Father, you remember, in agony, he cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was forsaken so that you wouldn't have to be. This is the depth of love that Jesus has for you. This is the depth of love he has for his friends. 
and his commandment is that you love one another as he has loved you. Now, of course, you're not to take this too literally. Jesus' work on the cross is unique and it's exclusive to him. It's, it was a once-for-all sacrifice to atone for sin. Jesus is speaking metaphorically when he commands you to love your brothers and sisters like I have loved you. Love one another by helping one another by helping those who are ill, by contributing to those in financial straits, by lending a hand to someone who needs help, by rejoicing with those that are grateful, and by grieving with those who mourn. Love one another by pointing each other to God's word and by praying for one another, by forgiving one another, and discipling one another. Give your lives in humble service to one another. Jesus says that loving friendship is self-sacrificial. And as he continues, he, he, he demonstrates that loving friendship is forthright. That's our second heading. Loving friendship is forthright. As Jesus continues, you see that he is very forthright with his disciples. He wants to have a loving relationship with them and while maintaining his authority. So he makes things clear. In verse 14, he says, you are my friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Are you friends with Jesus If so, Jesus says, he will be your Lord. Some time ago, I received a phone call from a friend. He was uh, self-employed at the time, and he was uh, doing general contracting work. And when he called me, he told me that he had won a bid to retile a home. He was setting a tile in this home in, in every single room. He had to change some outlets, hang some lights, do uh, some basic things like that. Well, so far, so good. He went on to tell me that he had underbid the job and that he had found himself um, in, a, in a jam, and he didn't know uh, whether he would be able to complete the job as anticipated. So he asked me if I was willing to come out and to help him complete the job. Basic electrical work I can do, but I don't know anything about laying tile. Guess who got stuck cutting tile all day long? I went out and worked with him for several days, and we were able to get the job done on time and keep his client happy. He was so grateful for my help. And working for him wasn't a burden to me. It was a pleasure. It was a pleasure because I love him. It was fun to work with him. He's my friend. And the same is true for Christians who serve the Lord. It isn't a burden to serve him. It's a pleasure to serve them because they love him. 
We keep his commandments because we adore him. We want to please the Lord because of the affection we have for him as we abide in his love. In verse 15, Jesus speaks of our friendship with him, saying, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. Jesus says, no longer do I call you servants. But the apostles referred to themselves as servants, didn't they? Peter identifies himself as a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ in the opening of the second of his second epistle. And Paul seems to delight to refer to himself as a bondservant of Jesus. One of our great privileges is being servants of the Lord. If that's the case, why does Jesus say, no longer do I call you servants? After all, in in this very passage, he commands us to obey his commands. Jesus wants you to know that your relationship with him is not one of mere hierarchical submission. Servants don't know what their master is doing, but friends, on the contrary, are fully aware. Christians receive the privilege of having an intimate relationship with God. Friendship with God is their single greatest possession. They have an open invitation to engage with him. Christians can pour out their hearts to him in prayer. The more intimate and revealing they are with him, the deeper their relationship grows. Friends spend hours talking to one another, don't they? They bear their souls to one another. And Jesus opens up his heart and his mind to you in the scriptures The Apostle Paul said that through God's word, we have the mind of Christ. The Lord speaks candidly through his word. He's always honest with you and tells you exactly what you need to hear. Abraham is described in the Bible as God's friend, and that's because God spoke to him so that he would understand his purposes This is what marked him out as a friend of God. And in Genesis 18, it says that the Lord came to Abraham with two angels and appeared to him before his tent. They were on their way to investigate Sodom. When they appeared at the door of his tent, Abraham said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. He asked the Lord to stay and to have a meal. And when the Lord agreed, he went to work immediately in order to prepare food. And as the chapter continues, Abraham finds himself communing with the Lord. He's still a servant, but now he is the Lord's friend. And the Lord gives him an incredible promise. Abraham and Sarah will receive the son 
their hearts have longed for. And as the Lord departs, he says, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. You see, God reveals his plans and his purposes to Abraham. This is the kind of relationship that Jesus describes when he calls his disciples friends. If we're going to love one another like Jesus loves, we've got to be candid and honest with one another. When friends share their hearts and their minds with one another, their friendship deepens and it grows. Jesus says that loving friendship is forthright. And as he continues, he shows how loving friendship is generous. That's our third heading. Loving friendship is generous. Jesus has just made it clear that part of being friends means that he is going to be forthright and honest with us. And sometimes that means that he is going to tell us hard things. Sometimes there'll be hard things to understand, and other times there'll be hard things because they're weighty. In verse 16, Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you to go and to bear fruit. He's referring to his sovereign purpose in election. Ephesians 1.4 says that God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. The Bible says that we are all born spiritually dead, and that's why we need to be born again, born of the Holy Spirit. If God doesn't sovereignly intervene in a person's life, they will be lost. So he moves on the circumstances of their lives in order to give them willingness to turn from their sins. And then the Spirit comes upon that person and changes their heart and their mind and their will so that they believe and embrace Jesus as their Savior and their Lord. John chapter 1, verse 13 says that those who believe were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Do you remember Paul's testimony in the book of Acts? He was traveling to Damascus in order to arrest Christians in that city when all of a sudden Jesus came crashing into his life. Paul was blinded, he says, by a bright light and then Jesus spoke to him in an audible voice Meanwhile, the Holy Spirit was changing his heart and his mind and his will. When Paul was confronted with who God is for the first time, he realized who he was, a sinner in desperate need of forgiveness. So he humbled himself before the Lord. He confessed his sin And he asked for forgiveness. Paul turned from his sin and he embraced Christ as his Lord and Savior. That is what you must do in order to be saved. 
The Lord chose Paul for himself. He chose to pluck him out of the fire and to transform him. The same is true for everyone who comes to faith. In verse 16, Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Ephesians 1.4 says that he chose a people for himself to set them apart so that they should be holy and blameless before him. This is God's will for your life. He wants you to walk in holiness. To be separate from the world in that sense. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says, This is the will of God, your sanctification. Things are about to change for the disciples. They've been training with him for years, and soon they'll be putting all of that training into practice. Jesus wants his disciples to have confidence in his promises, in his word. Jesus said, I chose you and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. He has set the disciples apart for special service as apostles, and soon they will take up the Great Commission, the advancement of Christ's kingdom. The gospel mission is our calling as well, and Jesus has appointed all Christians to bear witness to the gospel. But we're weak, and we look to ourselves. And when we look to ourselves, we see so much potential for failure. We don't try or give a lackluster effort because we lack confidence. And that's why It's why we lack confidence, because we look to ourselves. And why should we have confidence when we're looking to ourselves? You need to keep your eyes on Christ. Jesus said, I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. His sovereignty doesn't stop at election. You have all of the reason in the world to have confidence. It's Christ's will that you bear fruit. You'll notice that Jesus links our abiding in him to our bearing fruit. And his promises are an answer to prayer. Verse 16 says, I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. You see, there is great power in prayer. Jesus says that the Father will answer your prayers when you come to him in Jesus' name. That is, when you pray according to Christ's will. How do you know his will It's revealed to you in Scripture. For instance, in our text, 
you see that it's Christ's will that you keep his commandments and that you love others. It's his will that you bear fruit. You've been appointed to it, set apart for it. What a privilege you've been given. You were dead in your sins. You were an enemy of God and Jesus came into your life and he saved you. He forgave you. And not only that, empowered by him, he sees potential in you. So he employs you, he, he appoints you to bear fruit unto his glory. You see, his loving friendship is generous. If we're going to love one another like Christ loves us, we should be generous with others as well. 1 Corinthians 13 says, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. In verse 17, you see that Jesus concludes just as he began. He says, these things I command you so that you will love one another. That is what this message is about. Jesus' desire that his disciples love one another. In verse 12, he said that his disciples should love one another as he loves us. And as he continues, he calls us friends. So as we looked at this passage, we asked what loving friendship should look like. We sought the answer by observing how Jesus loves us. The first thing that we noted is that Jesus loved us by laying down his life for us. If we're to love like Jesus loves, we need to be willing to deny ourselves and spend our lives for others. The second thing that we observed was that Jesus loved us by being forthright with us. If we're going to love others like Jesus loves us, we've got to be willing to be candid and honest with one another. And the third thing we noticed was that Jesus loves us by being generous with us. He lavishes his grace upon us. He not only saved us, but he also appointed us as ambassadors for his kingdom. If we're going to love like Jesus loves, we need to give each other the benefit of the doubt. We need to forgive one another and believe in one another. Put one another forward. Loving friendship is self-sacrificial, forthright, and generous. How can we ever hope to imitate the Lord in this? By abiding in his love and by seeking empowerment in prayer, by his grace, you'll love like Jesus loves. Amen. Let's pray.
Lord, you have set the standard high. You have said that we ought to love as you have loved. Lord, you know how beyond us that is. And Lord, you said that you have given us prayer that we might come to you, that you might answer and empower us and give us what we need that we might obey your command. So Lord, we would ask that you would empower us to love like Jesus loved. Lord, help us to be self-sacrificial in our love for one another. Help us to be forthright and honest with one another. Help us to be generous with one another, to be gracious toward one another. We would ask it, O Lord, that when people come and they see us, they would see that we do love one another just as you have commanded. We would ask that you would hear our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.